Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, I'm just going to like start things up, up front. I have seen very little TV this week. Um Compared to, <laughs> I've seen a lot of TV this week. I've seen very little TV of the things we usually talk about compared to a normal week when we're talking about TV. I just was having a moment there of like, our TV viewing is not normal people's TV viewing. Um, but that's for a very good reason. And do you know what that reason is, Noel? What is that reason? I spent a significant portion of my life this week watching impeachment hearings. And okay. Well, that's TV, though. That's TV, but it's not TV we're going to review. Well, yeah, but I mean, if only we did more, like, news-based stuff, then we could talk about, like, the overall media reception of these Mm -hmm. impeachment hearings and, like, how that factored into TV and whether or not congressional hearings make for good TV and what are the limitations of that and what does that mean? And all of that. Yes, but we're not going to do that, listeners. Never Uh, you fear. We should do, though. We should do that. (laughs) Okay. If only I could watch the impeachment hearings during the day, which I can't. Yeah. So. Well, it's just one of those things where, you know, because I generally work evenings, I mean, I work all the time, but I interact with people (laughs) in my teaching and stuff um, in the evenings. Uh, afternoons and evenings, I was able to watch the hearings live, a lot of right. it. And yeah. so I was like, well, I'm going to watch these. I'm going to watch these live. Um, my my grandmother on my dad's side um, was a remarkable woman. And she very notoriously in our family watched all the Nixon hearings, okay. like every minute of it. She watched it yeah. live and she would like – my dad would come home from school and she would like lay out all the things that happened. So I've been thinking of her a lot this week as I – as I watch the hearings, because I'm able to, I feel like it's a good thing to do. I feel like it's a good thing to do as a citizen of the country. And hopefully this is not something that will be repeated very often in my lifetime. We'll see. So, uh, yeah. It's already happened twice. So Yeah, but I was young enough with the first one that I wasn't Mm -hmm. really experiencing it in a meaningful way. That's so. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. So anyways, because of that, I have seen, significantly less tv especially like wednesday on because the double hitter on wednesday was a lot yeah. <laughs> and then there was the debate and i watched the the debate as well um so it was just it's, it's been a lot of of having impeachment hearings and presidential primary debates as my background tv while i you know type up lesson notes and do invoicing and collate data and all of that good fun stuff that people don't realize also goes into running a violin studio but on the upside, you were adequately prepared in terms of dealing with political fallout and interpersonal melodramas and <laughs> backstabbings and general uselessness of white people, mm-hmm. because we're going to talk about The Crown Season 3 this week. We are going to talk about The Crown Season 3 this week. It works out great. Very, It's very political week here this week at the Televerse. Um, it, there was some TV news. The big thing was Runaways was canceled. We are not surprised by this. 
No, no. The writing was on the wall. Um, Jeff Loeb, who's been hitting up Marvel Television since its inception um, under Perlmutter, is expected to step down, like, this week or next week. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he's supposed to do it before Thanksgiving. Um, so he's just running down the wire. But this was this is not his last show that he shepherded through the process, but it's, like, the one of the last ones. Because they've still got that um, Hulu show, Hailstrom? Holstrom? Something along those lines. Um, that was in development um under him and that is going to actually air at some point um but yeah no after cloak and dagger was canceled this was pretty much it um in terms of what hadn't already been announced to be on its way out a la agents of shield which he also oversaw as marvel's tv's marvel tv's head so yeah well at least we're getting enough marvels to get one more appearance by 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 cloak and dagger who we love yes yes um but yeah, that was really my TV news has been yeah. impeachment stuff all week. So yeah, that's a conversation for another time and probably a different podcast, though we do occasionally dip into that stuff. For now, we're going to talk about The Crown, which I feel like has kind of blipped and not really been in the discussion this week, probably because of all the other things going on. Yeah, but also probably because what is there to talk about? Yeah, more on that at the end <laughs> of the episode, but for now... <laughs> Let's listen to a little music. We'll take a break and come back with our week in TV. We'll be right back after this. was careless whisper originally by wham and covered like a bunch of times this week on on watchmen by different artists i haven't decided yet which one i'm going to use check the show notes uh to see which one i went with uh, this week in tv we're going to talk a little bit about the last week tonight with john oliver season finale the about the census and with a uh, another moment with shijan then then noel's going to talk about chiara furu as storm sweep i'll talk a little the good place the answer very little because Noel hasn't seen it yet. So, but but I still wanted to mention it. So that's coming up at the end of our weekend comedy. Then over in reality, I'm going to talk the Drag Race UK finale. Noel's going to talk emergence over in genre, fatal exception. And then we're we're going to have our superhero roundup with Supergirl, Tremors, Arrow. Proshnos, how do you pronounce it? They like did a whole. No, th- that's, that's that's correct. That's correct. They did a whole thing in the episode with like this is yeah. a. Anyways, then we're going to round things out with Watchmen, Little Fear of Lightning. So first up is Last Week Tonight with John Oliver and their big finale. I thought that this was, uh, like, you could tell that they had decided how they wanted to end the season, like, a while ago. Yes. And this was somewhat of a, like, a, huh, okay. 
kind of ending to the season. I mean, like I get what they were going for. They wanted to do something different and not try to compete with the spectacle that they've had the last several years. And that's probably why they did the penultimate musical number. Mm-hmm. And so I, the sentiment was nice and all, but I did feel like it was a bit of a letdown after that just epic, epic pettiness last week. Yeah, I well, I mean, I also, like you say, I think it was by design. Like, they wanted this big epic pettiness followed by things are going to be maybe okay. Like, mm-hmm. here, here's Chi-John again and Hugh-John mm-hmm. and all of that and just, like, the sheer wonderfulness of, like, their best story, um, like, their best bit segment, I think, this season. And it provided a good low-key juxtaposition to the musical number. Um, what I was sort of more frustrated by was the census segment, which is vitally important. And they could have dug into a number of other things about it that they didn't because they did this Shijan bit, which again, I loved it. I really appreciated it. However, the census is really important and they'll have more time to do stuff on the census next year. Admittedly. However, as sort of their swan song of like, this is the last thing we're going to focus on after focusing a lot this year on like medical stuff in Mm -hmm. particular, medical technology, um, we're going to do the census and it's really important and you should be aware of it. And here's why, and all this sort of stuff. And it just kind of felt like a little flat. And that was really frustrating for me. Um, so, cause the census is really important. And also I almost like applied for a job to work for the census because you know, I mm-hmm. need money. Um, so that was just one of those things of like, this is, this is an important thing that I just felt like, wasn't quite given enough space between the stupid Watergate 2 coverage and then the Shijan cover, uh, Shijan bit, which again was very good. I'm not faulting that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I didn't feel like there was much there that hadn't been discussed previously, either, even just on the show. Um, yes. And there certainly is a lot you can talk about with the census. So that was, it was a little, like I said earlier, it was a little underwhelming, but I agree. The Shijan stuff was fun. It was a nice change of pace to go out that way. Um, but this will not be what I remember from the season. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a little, a bit of a down note to end on, at least for me over on Chihafuru, we have as storms sweep. So how's the season going? So Chihaya won her big match with, um, Tai Chi. Ah, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So that, that was really great. Um, and, a lot of what I really like about this episode is that it continues a couple of things that have been sort of percolating a little bit this season in that Chiaya finally fig- filled out her um, what do I want to do with my life form, which they give to all Japanese students um, in high school at some point. You have to fill them out. Um, and she decided she wanted to be a high school teacher so that she could coach a karate <laughs> club <Yeah. laughs> um, because she's very, very greedy. Um, but all of that was like, came out as she won this match because having won this match, she had all the momentum behind her to go to the queen qualifier in like a couple of weeks, but it was the same time as their, um, I don't know if you know this, but, um, Japanese schools do like a big class class trip each year. Um, and hers was the same week as the, uh, same days as the qualifier. So she couldn't go. Um, and she elected not to go, even though the Empress, their advisor, um, said that we can figure out like an exemption for you, everything. She's like, no, I need to make memories. I can't be a teacher if I've never been on a class trip. That very sort of like beautifully simple, but also perfectly encapsulated Chihaya mentality and line of thought. 
um, that's just so good. And she lets all of this out, like, crying after she's recovered from the match. And so she goes on the school trip, and Taichi basically pretends to be sick one day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he can skip out on the first day of the trip and then go to the King's qualify, uh, to go to the, the King qualifier match. Um, and this throws Chihaya into, like, a small tizzy of, like, wait. He he's going, but I'm here. I'm not dedicated enough and all this sort of stuff. And it's so good. And it's just really, really delightful. Um, the only other thing I'll say is that there's also development on the romance triangle here as um, Tai Chi and Arta sort of maybe acknowledge that they both want to be with Chi, both want to be with Chihaya. Um, but there's a really good discussion about Arta thinking that Tai Chi that she always belonged to Tai Chi, and then coming to the realization that she just doesn't belong to anyone, to which I shouted at the screen, she belongs to the cards! <laughs> she belongs to herself? Yeah. Crazy yeah. notion there. Crazy notion that she belongs to herself, but she belongs to the cards. <laughs> um, so, again, like there's like the slow, steady acknowledgement of the romantic triangle coming out this season as well, which I really, really appreciate. And because of the fact that everyone's at a level of play where they can have that happen much more now. Um, the slow play of that has actually, I think is paying off dividends for them right now. Um, so this was again, a really good episode and the season's still really good. And I really want you to catch up so you can watch it and we can mm-hmm. talk about it. So, you know, whenever you can pull yourself, you should, you should watch an episode of Chihaya for every, you should watch two episodes of Chihaya for every hour of impeachment hearings that you listen to because it's the perfect palate cleanser. Sure. <laughs> sure we'll see how that goes um I'm, I'm mostly looking forward to catching up on sleep in the next yeah. week over on the good place we have the answer and you haven't seen this one yet so i'm gonna be very vague and just say uh, I'll, it's a cheaty centric episode mm-hmm. at long last well overdue and i thought it was absolutely beautiful um great performances really well done and um i think the best episode of the season and mm-hmm. one of my favorites of the series Okay. So uh, not not to hype anything up, just like it's really, especially after, you know, like our conversation last week about the show prioritizing plot and an endpoint over character and just like taking time with these people and really committing to that part of the show. It was a nice just, you know, we already said palate cleanser, but <laughs> it was a nice adjustment and exactly the kind of stuff I've been missing this season. So there, it's just like a, a brief respite before the plot's going to kick back in, I'm sure. But it was a really lovely, lovely 20-ish minutes without commercials. And when you've had a chance to see it, we'll talk about it. Until then, Drag Race UK had its finale. Um, a person was crowned, who I won't say because that spoilers, because it hasn't aired in the United States yet. Uh, but I was happy with that. I thought they did a good job with the um, the, t- the standard finale, like write your own verse, lip sync and perform and dance, and do choreography and everything. Um, the looks were nice. The, they were good. Each of the queens really delivered. It's been a really lovely end to the season. I mean, all, the whole season has been delightful, but but the the final three seems right. There's a clear, like, number three and then contenders for one and two. And I think the way that's handled works really, really nicely, really well. It's just been a, a really refreshing season of Drag Race. And that, you know, the fact that they have a final lip sync um, for the, like, one and two lip sync it out for the crown, right? Mm-hmm. There isn't a single reveal in the lip sync. Wow, that's just 
That feels so revolutionary at this point. <laughs> I know, right? It's just straightforward. Let's celebrate this song. Let's really, you know, speaking of, it's 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 more wham. Um, and uh, let let's just enjoy this music and and perform and 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 live in the energy of the song. Not let's figure out how we can make a, a wig reveal or a yeah. costume change or something. Like there isn't any of that, and it's just uh. While like for some it might be underwhelming, it might be like a anticlimax. I think it's actually just a really lovely like centering of the 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 purpose and the energy of the show. Like this is what it's supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about capturing this music and conveying emotion and telling a story through your performance with this music. Um, and and having this the narrative and the energy and the the motions of the song be what's primary not what can i jam in there that doesn't really fit with the with the song so yeah it was a nice finale i'm looking forward to season two of drag race uk whenever it happens and uh certainly there are a number of people from this season who i look forward to them showing up on drag race uk all-stars because they're going to be great so yeah. So do you think that having this being the show's first season, even though like Drag Race is an established property, do you think that it being its first season in UK sort of liberated it from? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Because there isn't all the same baggage to it. It right. has that like, the, I wouldn't be surprised if the same sort of pivot in the tone and the uh, dynamic between the Queens that's come you know that's sort of happened over the the 10 plus years of drag race happens over the next several years of drag race uk but for now there isn't the same like gaming of the system and people being really savvy and like branding themselves from the moment they're they walk through the the door into the workroom you know so it's there's very much a reference for the property and also, like what it means to these queens to be on the show, but not the same studied, like, how are we going to game the system? You know, let's make sure we are building our narratives. I mean, there, I'm sure there's some of that, but for the most part, really, it, it was a much more, it, it was just, a, it was a much more authentic feeling, which is very constructed in reality TV, but much more yes. authentic feeling season. Um, it, there's okay. a freshness and a vitality to it. That it will hopefully translate to the new season of uh, of All Stars when it comes up next, and then Drag Race. Um, but you know, some some of the you know crew, the producers and such, carrying over between the two shows, um, and certainly RuPaul and uh, Michelle Visage. But no, it was a it was a very welcome, like sort of re-energizing of the brand. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Okay, what's going on on Emergence? We had Fatal Exception this week. Right, so we dealt with the fallout of the previous, the cliffhanger of the previous episode, um, in which we have you watched last week's? Yeah, yes, yes. Okay, so in which we find out that Emily is the one inside um, uh, Piper's head, not uh, Terry O'Quinn's uh, Richard Kindred, um, and we find out what their connection is this week as well. Um, it's exactly what you expected this, and um, but we deal with Emily attempting to take control of Piper. And the the kind of delightfully horrific ways in which Emily goes about doing this are really really good and really really interesting. Um, what I'm what I'm consistently sort of curious slash impressed slash worried about with Emergence is that they're just burning through plot really really quickly. And I still don't know how many episodes they have this season. <laughs> um, I have to assume thirteen, given 
how this show progresses. Um, but they've just moving really, really fast through stuff. And how this episode ends with a number of things sort of cut off or shut down or closed. Um, I just, I don't know what, like, the big next steps are. Um, which I'm sure that they have a really good idea because they've done a really good job this season. But I'm always, like, trying to figure out, wait, what are you going to do now that you've written yourself into this corner type of type of deal? So I, that's kind of where I end up with this episode is like, oh, no, this is... This is good. I'm really enjoying this. But what are you doing for your next trick? And so I'm really excited to find out what that is. Um, the other things I will say is that um, we, we've talked about this before, and I tweeted about this in particular, but I just love the small details that this show just gives characters that we'll see twice or that we will never, ever see, or characters like... Like, in this episode, Chris, who's um, the main cop that helps out Joe, tells Benny to go to the library after they shut down all their computers in the police station because they're worried about Emily basically hacking them, tracking them, and all that kind of stuff. And then when he tells Benny to go to the library to use the computers, he also name drops which librarian is his favorite and to ask for her when he gets to the library. And... There's no reason for that extra bit of dialogue for that when we never see Benny go to the library. We never see this librarian or anything, but Chris goes to the library enough that he has a favorite librarian that he knows by name and tells other people about. First of all, librarians are amazing, and if you know any librarians, hug them because they're the best, provided you ask first before you hug them. <laughs> Shout out to Sarah, my one of my roommates in college. My sophomore year roommate. She's wonderful and amazing, and I enjoy stalking all of the wonderful things she's doing with her library on Facebook. <laughs> exactly. Librarians, I could go on a whole tangent, but librarians are amazing and great. Um, so that that one bit right there, but it's also just, why does he have a favorite librarian, and why do we need to know that? We don't. Mm-hmm. But the fact that the show consistently makes space for that kind of stuff is really, really delightful. Like a few weeks ago when they had that cop come to relieve Chris Chris, while he was babysitting Emily at that um, little lodge. He was just like, yeah, I 3D print my own puzzles. And he's like, oh, sweet baby, this is the first time we've met you and I know everything about you. (laughs) And that's kind of like, that kind of character economy I think is really, really impressive. And it adds such texture to the show. And that's really, like, the best thing about the show is that it's really good at texturing everything around this weird mystery box show that without all this texturing would just be really boring. Um, so it's really, really good. There's also some really good costuming uh, color stuff this in this episode as well that I really appreciate. Um, so I'm looking forward to you to watching it, but I'm just like, what are you doing next? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any of the shows I think about that, you know, like Good Place is a good example, that have really excelled by churning through plot. Um, they've all run into trouble where they ran out of it. Uh, the other one that comes, of course, right to mind is The Vampire Diaries. However, right. if, if Emergence gets a good, like, four to five seasons before it becomes too big of an issue that they're churning through plot, I'll be happy. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, okay. Yeah. I can deal with that. Um, so, yeah, you're and you're absolutely right. Those character details, that specificity really does, like, worlds to, to get us invested in these people, even if we're just spending, like, a scene with them here and there. So, yeah, I'm completely on board. Yeah, so 
it's just it's really good Mm -hmm. it's really good it makes me happy Yay. Well, and you know what's not making us happy right now? Supergirl. And this one is Tremors. And we get our big heel turn uh, for for Lena. Um, No, she's not the villain. So stop treating her like one, Kate. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, What did you think of this episode? Um, So apart from the the Lena of it all, um, can we just talk about how just... Sheer uncomfortable Mitch Pluggy seemed in this episode. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "What is happening? What is happening? What am I doing? Am I am I controlling Earth? What what is my thing here exactly, everyone?" And it's like, "No, you're fine, Mitch. It's great. You look really good in that costume. Keep going." And it's like, "No, none of this. None of this is good. <laughs> um, it's just it's bad." Um, but yeah, the I'm glad that we got this. Um, this Lena, like everything's all the cards are on the table, sort of deals. And again, the fact that it's happening in episode seven is encouraging yeah. that we're going to then have an additional pivot back around at some point. Yes, and but we also need this to happen now because we're like, and we're only a couple episodes away from the crossover slash the break mm-hmm. and everything as well. So we also kind of needed like a way for them to do this big thing have maybe a breather episode next week in which people deal with the ramifications of their decisions that happen throughout this episode because the episode does end with a number of large decisions um, and those kinds of things. So they, they, we need to deal with that before we transition into the crossover and monitor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad that structurally it happened for both that reason, but also, like you said, that there's time for this to adjust itself as like Leviathan Leviathan comes to the forefront much more since we got to see a little bit more of them this week and their headquarters is very cool. Like that's just cool. Um, so all of that I think is good. It's just, I just, it's just frustrating because it still just doesn't feel earned in any way, shape or form. Um, they just felt very dedicated to this track. And unlike say Alex adopts, what's your name? They weren't willing to pull back on it. They mm-hmm. they were just like, we're going to do this. And no one told them, no, don't do that. <laughs> Except for like all the listeners. All the fans. All the people who watch the show just went, don't do this. Even though, again, Katie McGrath is really good. Well, that's what I was say. She is selling the shit out of it. And yeah, the fact that no. I'm able to follow Lena's emotional trajectory through any of this yeah. is a real testament to McGrath because she's nailing this stuff as I'm going, this is bad. But like in the moment I'm with you, I'm with Lena, uh, even though it's just all ridiculous and stupid. Uh, I will say the, Oh, the other thing we should mention uh, again, shout out to any of the, Listeners that I've been following, there's a bunch of discussion of, of all the, the super core stuff around um, on, on, on my Twitter bubble. Uh, so shout out to people like a uh, friend of the show, Dr. Elizabeth Bridges, and some of the other listeners that I know care about this. The queer baiting with the two of them is just so ridiculously strong. And yes. like it is <laughs> – if, if it's not endgame, if they're not heading towards a romantic connection of some sort for them, then shame on – these writers and and uh, directors and producers because come on guys this is like this is like one true love levels of betrayal that yes. they're showing and um 
that's not what I think they're going to go to. And right. it's really disappointing. Like, literally, Kara's was earlier this season was flying all the way around the world to get Lena's favorite treats from, like, the, it's over and beyond best friend. So, yeah. If they do end up getting them together romantically, that would be amazing. And then I will take back every ounce of, of criticism I've had about the queer baiting. But it just really, really feels like toxic and not sen- not thoughtful, not sensitive uh, queer baiting of their fan base. And that they should like, this is a writing staff that after all of the stuff with, with Sanders, like really should know better. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. And I mean, because like you said, they've been couching it so much in best friends and really specifically playing up the aspect of that Lena has no friends and makes friends really difficultly and is very closed off that that's where this is all stemming from and it's really difficult to buy into that because of the coding and because of their decisions that they make how they depict this relationship even just like the visual language of the show like no yeah exactly yeah that leans really heavily into that and while i think that there's value in depicting this kind of attention between friendships like Shira again going back to that did a really great job of that last season but because of other things that this show does that differentiates it from that and puts it into a different category and it's really frustrating to watch that even though again McGrath and Benoist also is are doing a really good job and McGrath has always been leaning into it a bit more mm-hmm. anyway um yeah, like definitely. since day one has been leaning <laughs> much harder into it than anyone else um that i just it's always it's all it's just always present and it's it's very it's barely subtextual at this point and to like keep denying it is really frustrating and they need to stop yeah the fact that you could look at this show and try to with a straight face claim that monel is Kara's true one true love is ridiculous <laughs> it's absolutely absurd it's completely a hundred percent ridiculous so um yeah yeah anyways listeners let us know what you think about all this stuff uh i like the stuff we got with john um i like some of the stuff we got with brainy we'll see where it all goes uh for now let's head over to a far more successful corner of the arrowverse and cw superhero world uh which is arrow Prochnost, which was there like again like episode five on the hit parade of of bring back familiar faces return to and comment on the show's history and oliver's journey i thought this was really delightful super fun it's absolutely ridiculous but i don't care because it's just so nice to see oliver interact with mia adult mia and adult william Mm -hmm. uh that i will really give them a lot of leeway that was basically where i was going with this episode as well is that it's again another MacGuffin episode it's another oh wait the bad guys we stole the MacGuffin. the bad guys stole our MacGuffin, so we have to get, get it back from the bad guys plot arch which they've done at least three times this year already like they did it with um they did it in hong kong they did it with the um the league of assassins thing as well um or whatever artemis is or whatever that new group is mm-hmm. um i wasn't there for any of that <laughs> <laughs> and now they've done it again here with the Bratva and the energy weapon thingy that they were going for um so 
all of it's just structurally really kind of it's all very samey and it's all kind of frustrating because they're doing it all at once even though arrow does this a lot but because of everything being compressed it feels like oh god not another one but all the queen interaction stuff is so good that it doesn't matter. Like, you get the tennis balls back, so you get that bit. You get the bell back, so you get that bit. But then you get, like, the layers of resentment, but also similarities that really bleed out between William and Oliver and then Mia and Oliver. And just the way that everyone is both playing it and how the show's writing it just makes it really compelling and just goes into the best parts like i said when they did this when they bought they merged the timeline merged the time groups of yeah no this is what arrow has always been really good at was this kind of family melodrama stuff when they gave it enough space and they're just giving it so much space and because it's being built on the history of the show as well this season everything just feels really elevated so it's just really sharp and it's just, it's really good, even if some of the other stuff is just kind of bleh. But I'm here for it. And I'm also here for the fact that they didn't take the easy way out with um Earth 2 Laurel and just z- zagged on us. And then we're just like, yeah, so um, you want to tell us what you're doing <laughs> <laughs> with um, Lila? And just like, so what's up? Yeah. What's well, up? I would have liked a little bit more of an emphasis on uh, I'm not going to sacrifice who I've become and who I've worked so hard to become. Yes. Uh, for this guy. Cause I don't know this guy. I don't trust yes. this guy. And yeah. you know, like, so not just like a, like, like more skepticism of like, could he even bring back yes. earth, my earth? You know, like yeah. if he could, then I think that that is a bargain that you at least strongly consider. And you talk to Oliver about, you know, um, but they don't know this guy. He just shows up and he's got a stupid looking cape. And so we're supposed to believe everything he says. Come on. This is not the strangest person they've interacted with. Look no further than just the music meister on Flash, right? That's already weirder. They created entirely realized worlds in people's minds. So for all we know that it's just a mass like illusion, all this stuff about the crisis. So like I, we know that, but the people in the show don't. So I thought that that was a good ending or like, development i guess for the for this character even though i still need i still need some acknowledgement of wells and jesse <laughs> i know it's a different show but i don't care yeah no everyone in flash is like too wrapped up in various other things mm-hmm. uh to really really care that all their earth two friends are just gone yeah well it's too bad apparently wally is just too busy being you know in tibet or wherever he is to, yeah. to yeah so like there are stranger developments or lacks of developments i guess but but still that one's gonna rankle till they resolve it let's go over to watchmen for our last episode in the week in tv and that's little fear of lightning so this was our looking glass episode or the mirror Bla- guy mirror, mirror guy, guy. <laughs> this is the tim blake nelson gets an emmy episode episode and it was really 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 good and i'm really excited for next week yeah, this episode is in no small part, like, I love Tim Blake Nelson anyway, mm-hmm. so you're just going to give me an hour of Tim Blake Nelson going through various stages of trauma and how he is not coping with any of it, and then just turning his world upside down. And then we're just going to throw you a Paula Malcolmson, in case it wasn't awesome enough. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, nope, that's, 
That's a really good show. This is really, well really done. good. <laughs> yeah, you, you got me. All of it, you got me. Um, and yes, I am also excited about next week because that that next week is Regina King gets an Emmy episode based on the preview. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, or at the very least, they both get nominated because of these episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that just the ways in which that this episode deals with trauma and the larger psychological ramifications of this event that they've slowly sort of like crept back onto um from the comics um instead of like using that as a starting point they're using it as almost an ending point which i find really fascinating from a structural standpoint of no we're gonna we're just gonna we're gonna backtrack all the way from that and then steadily zoom back to this shared moment of trauma that's influenced everything else um, and I think that's really smart, and it's been really well executed in how they depict it, how they deal with it, and then centering it around Tim Blake Nelson's character and just all of it of like, oh, that's how he—that's why he's got a mirror complex. And then it's like, oh no, that's not why he has a mirror complex. I mean, it is, but this is the real reason. Yes, and yes, <laughs> yes, and is the correct answer. Yes. <laughs> Um, so no, it's all really, really good. It's all really well, it's all really well thought through. And given that we opened our week in TV segment with a uh, careless whisper, which I've been had in my head since Sunday, um, I thought again to just how good Lindelof is at those kinds of needle drops so much so that I just also got, uh, make your own kind of music stuck in my head because so much of this got just tapped into the season, um, whatchamacallit, season two premiere of Lost. Mm-hmm. And I just went, oh, yeah. Damn it, Lindelof. Your music supervisor and your music budget people are really good. Yep. <laughs> y- y- y'all are really um, good at this. <laughs> yeah, you're really good at this. Um, but I've been talking for a little bit. So what did you think about uh, Little, Little Fear of Lightning? I thought that it um, it was a really well-placed and really important mini standalone that they that they needed and uh it just put such context on the world it's one thing if you've read the comics if you've seen the 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 movie adaptation you know they changed the ending from the comics and uh really committing to that and showing showing just a, a just a scintilla of the trauma i think really really helped and it just made so many elements of Mirrorball just like click into place that were already there because Tim Blake Nelson is really good. Sorry. <laughs> Looking glass. We Mirror don't God. care. Mirror guy. Mirrorball. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously Tim Blake Nelson is really good. So this stuff was all there, but it just made everything just kind of sink in and add added resonance and significance to what we've been seeing from that character. Uh, the, the support group I thought was amazing. The mm-hmm. connection of like, he's always been really good at reading people, except for the one time he wasn't. And because he wasn't, he survived. Yes. You know, um, it's really interesting. And, and tying in the, like the, the weight of the betrayal, I thought was very effectively done. I mean, like we've said, Nelson's really, really good, but to, to, have that that wall of videos uh, of Vite, you know, of young Jeremy Irons. And I think that just the choice to have so many screens was just really amplified the impact of that. Show, gave like the weight of like this one 
figure against this giant wall. Uh, the the least surprising reveal ever <laughs> of Sender to Evil. Uh, Sender to Yeah, King. no. I've been calling that since like episode two and I keep forgetting oh, yeah. to mention it here. Yeah, no, and- but it was so clear. It was like, oh yeah, yeah, don't take me hostage. Certainly, I'm not trying to raise my political profile as I stand here with a little, just a t- tiny, delicate splatter of blood on my collar. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, that was just also well incorporated you know and we'll see what happens in my head canon until the next episode airs he's getting out of there uh Mm -hmm. and not gonna be killed by the cavalry though he also could easily be killed with the cavalry we'll see what happens but um the fact that it doesn't free him you know that he still goes back to the trash can and gets that eds kit like Mm -hmm. just in case um is just such a heartbreaking like the whole thing is just a heartbreaking scene after the next after the next after the next and handled like to take something that's so depressing and that's so draining and intense and to have it not be at least for me anywhere near as as difficult as like so much of the leftovers was i think is also shows real skill it still is fun it still is interesting it still has the same energy of the rest of the show while really zooming in on the the trauma and the pain that that he's dealing with so i just i thought it was an absolutely beautiful episode yeah and i think that a lot of what helps that balance is the fact that there's still that degree of like archness to the show um to like again using careless whisper in various ways to underscore ver- underscore various scenes and various emotions i think is just really delightful but i also go back to how this episode sort of not completely bookends but sort of bookends itself by we see that crowd in Ho- um hoboken 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 thank you i was just like that's the wrong emphasis <laughs> in hoboken after the um after the attack and just bodies everywhere and everything. And then we just see all those clones on whatever Jovian moon Vite mm-hmm. um, is somehow on. Um, and then, like, those images being basically exactly the same, but also just the degree of weird camp that's associated with, oh, so that's why he's been flinging corpses through whatever bubble he's on is so that he could make a big letter, make a big save me. Save me, Dr. Manhattan, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and just doing that instead, and it's just like, oh, this show's so good at just being like, yeah, here's this massive tragedy. Here's also this massive tragedy. However, there's a psychopath at the end of both of these. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's deal with that. And just, I really like the fact that they make space for that kind of macabre um, sort of humor um, that has just keeps, like you said, the show really well balanced. Um, And it also helps that Irons is just still delighted to chew all this, all this (laughs) scenery Um, uh, just down to really Kate down to the decision to have a Rose lapel pin on his spacesuit. It's just, it's just delightful. It's just delightful. And then letting him give a whole video speech of, yes, hello, President Redford. I'm recording this in 1987. Yes, but how would you know that I know? Because I've orchestrated. It's just so comic booky and stupid. He's, but all- He's just so that guy. It's like, yeah, but Yeah, but it, it's so in keeping with how Vite operates that mm-hmm. that is exactly how this would work, is that he would go, yes, Redford should be president. <laughs> 
It's like, how did you come to that decision? <laughs> nice to know that even the Watchmen universe, something akin to Citizens United, uh, was passed to allow yeah. such <laughs> such complete control over the entire political sphere by one bajillionaire. Yeah. Speaking of bajillionaires, uh, how curious you are about uh, our trillionaire waiting off in the wings? A little bit. Like, not a l- I'm like, I'm curious about a number of things regarding our trillionaire in terms of is she cloning herself or is she using that nostalgia medicine um to do this to her daughter so i'm curious about that but i'm i'm i have to say it's like i know it's the corner of the show that's sort of the crux that we're all going to pivot on um but it's also the corner of the show i don't care about right now and that's a little frustrating admittedly like it's tied up in everything that's happening but it just, it feels really inconsequential to a certain degree, even though it's obviously not going to be. But it feels inconsequential right now. And so I'm interested in seeing how it snaps into snaps into place. But when I'm more interested in what Vite's doing, you kind of have a small problem. Because I shouldn't really care about what Vite's doing. As delightful as it is, I shouldn't care as much about it compared to this. And I do. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of the speculation that the next episode, the the big reveal is going to be that Angela's grandfather was hooded justice? Mm. I mean, I could see that. I don't have to think about that a bit more, but yeah, I could see them doing that. It feels a little cheap in a way, but mm-hmm. yeah, I could see them doing that. I, I gotta, uh, gotta say, I would be... I will be very interested to read all of the reviews and thoughts yeah. afterwards. So right. we'll see. Because, well, I mean, it would be something that all the critics would have known about as well, because they got the first six. So we're coming up on that sixth episode. So if it comes out next week's episode, then everyone's been sitting on it for like a month and a half. <laughs> That's the, at least the most popular theory I've been seeing in comment sections and on Twitter and everything. Um, but yeah, I am very intrigued about the connection, like what's going on with Angela's grandfather. I'm, I'm like yeah. by opening the way that the series did with the Tulsa race riots and, uh, and I mean, the what do they call it, the massacre or something like that? Because they don't call it race riots because that's just a euphemism. Um, right. The uh, connecting that thread to her to to her grandfather and Angela, and then through to now, that's the corner of the show that I'm personally the most interested in. So, yeah. Yes, Jeremy Mayers is being hilarious <laughs> and ridiculous, but I'm actually much more much more centered still on Angela. Um, and I look forward to what's coming next. I, like, we, we've heard significantly that, right, like, repeatedly that this is just going to be a one-and-done season that's not supposed yeah. to come back. And I could easily see the show ending in such a way that it was not possible for it to come back. But I hope it comes back. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, can we do a giant whale this time? Yeah. Will that just solve all our problems? Giant whale? Giant whale going once? <laughs> all right, Damon. Giant whale it is. Well, to Douglas Adams. <laughs> <laughs> well, what wins your week in TV this week? Um, I almost want to give it to Chihaya, but it's Watchmen. What about you? It's it's a tie for me. Very different episodes, but good place in Watchmen. So mm-hmm. for very different reasons. <laughs> uh, now let's take a break and listen to a trailer for season three and come back to talk about The Crown. We'll be right back after this. We're ready for you, Your Majesty. Three, two, 
was a trailer for season three of Netflix's The Crown, um, which is also, of course, season one for our new cast. As everyone who watches The Crown will know, the plan is to have three sets of actors playing Queen Elizabeth and the royal family at three different stages of their lives for two seasons each. So we have now uh, a, taking over for what was a fan- fantastic cast in the original two seasons, the first two seasons. We have Olivia Coleman as, as Lilibet, uh, as Queen Elizabeth II. And we have Tobias uh, Menzies, Mingus, as uh, Philip. We have Helena Bonham Carter as Princess Margaret. And then a bunch of people whose names I don't know <laughs> playing the, the next generation. Um, the, I, you know, I, I had heard lots of discussion around the season that as much as we all love Olivia Coleman, maybe she wasn't the right choice to play Elizabeth. And I was very confused about that until I watched the season and went, Oh, there's a whole episode about how she doesn't show emotion. And like Elizabeth, like Queen Elizabeth is like, can't externalize that in a way. Like she feels these things, but she can't show it. And Olivia Coleman is like one of the most emotive people you could possibly think of. I hear what they're saying. And yet I don't care. I'm still glad they cast her because that episode doesn't really work as well. But the rest of the season, I think, really does. So I'm on board with the season and I'm on board with the casting, despite acknowledging that it's probably not as straightforward and as, as good of um, a encapsulation of this character as Claire Forbes doing. Um, how are you for season three of The Crown? What did you think? I mean, what I came away with from this is that this is still not a noble show. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, I burned through this really quickly, but I also was just like, 
yeah, this is this is not something I care about. And I was really struggling to care about much of anything that was happening. Um, I do... Yeah, Coleman's casting, I think, is still good. But I think a lot of it boils down to the fact is, like, Coleman can't not emote. Um, even when she tries not to, she is because you can sense, basically. Like, there's no escaping it, I think. And I also think that my friend Danielle pointed out, like, you, you you can't not express emotion with those big soulful eyes. You just can't. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really comes through in this season of whenever she's trying not to. Even, like, the final shot, there's, like, it's as close as it comes, but there's so much clarity in terms of expressing uncertainty and trepidation about what's next. Um, in those final scenes as she rides off in the carriage for the um, start of her uh, 25th Jubilee, um, that it's all there even when the concept is supposed to be she's stoic and reserved and unapproachable even in a moment when she shouldn't be. And I think Coleman's really, really good still. I agree with you. But it's also, it doesn't feel right in the same way that Foy's performance did but I think that there's two other there's one other thing at play here however that I think needs to be weighed in that Foy was a relatively unknown quantity and so she is not someone whose face we were used to and so our ability to navigate her performance is informed by her relative newness whereas Coleman has been around for so long and we have seen her in a number of things, including a number of different sorts and roles from comedy to uh, sort of silly comedies to very silly comedies to street <laughs> comedies to Broadchurch, Broadchurch <laughs> yeah. to this to yeah. f- friggin' um, uh, the movie with Rachel Weiss and um, Emma Stone that was really really good. I can't remember the name of it right now. Oh yes, really yes, yes, that got her her Oscar. Yes, yes, yes. No, and she's the favorite, fanta- the favorite. Yes, and she's phenomenal in it. Um, that we we know her face better, and we know her better. That persona of hers, and I think that weighs really heavily in that kind of a performance. And I think that there's merit to that as a casting concept in that by now we know, air quotes, Elizabeth in a way that we didn't know Elizabeth before when she originally took over um, in the 50s. So I think that there's elements of that, but it's it's a difficult needle to thread and navigate. And I I really think it's important to consider Coleman's star image when talking about that kind of a thing and thinking about that kind of thing and our reaction to it. Yeah. Well, and I think there's also the, you know, I don't know how interested I would be in watching 10 episodes of a main character who doesn't emote ever. Um, Uh So there's also that to consider. But um, yeah, I I was, I I really enjoyed a lot of what I saw this season. It's much more of the same. So if you don't like the crown season one, two, you're not going to like the crown season three. Um, And I'm, I'm not very interested in the, the, last generation or i guess this not the most recent the second to most recent generation charles's generation i'm not interested in that part of the royal drama at all Mm -hmm. uh so that doesn't help uh oh boy season five is just gonna be real rough for you (laughs) yeah probably probably well i'm much more interested and i mean it's also because probably just i know the least about the earlier years 
sure. of Queen Elizabeth's reign. Um, so that doesn't help. But I, you know, I, I was, I found myself wanting more for a lot of the characters, um, wanting more from the writing. And I don't know how much of that is just the realities of what happened, which decades were the most eventful. And, um, and then just how settled these characters are in their lives. I, I was really going like, when I was so excited about Tobias Menzies getting cast in this so that people could find out how good he is. People who don't know, who don't watch Outlander, haven't seen him in other things, could appreciate just how really, really good he is. Um, and I was, so I was just like watching the season going, oh, come on, come on. And then they gave him the space episode. And I was like, oh, okay, this is really good. Yay. <laughs> Way to go. Uh, and so, what? You didn't like the space this- episode? Okay, so the space episode is marred down really terribly for me by the fact that it's insufferable. Well, yes. <laughs> by I, design, I, I it's supposed disagree. to be insufferable, but it's just exhausting to watch Philip go through a midlife crisis. It's just exhausting. It's very, very difficult. And it's almost worth it for how really cringe awful his meeting with the astronauts is because it's good. It's real cringy and it's really, I just wanted to fast forward through it, but the entirety of that episode is just, I haven't done anything with my life because I'm an astronaut. I'm not an astronaut. It's just like, Oh God, Philip, <laughs> way to make this all about you. Which um, is very on brand for him. Yes. In this show. Yeah. Yes, and but it was just really exhausting. Like it was the most exhausting hour, I think, in part because I just really hate Philip, mm-hmm. and we're supposed to. Um, but it's just like I have no sympathy for this man, and it's a running issue for the rest of the season. Is I don't have a lot of sympathy for these people, mm-hmm. which is a larger problem that we can discuss. Yeah, yeah, no, and and you know, I I felt the same way, but I just really appreciated Menzi's performance, and I was really I was just enjoying the performance and getting to to see him to get to do some stuff yeah. uh, as opposed to just sort of be in the background and be supportive, um, which is a lot of this. And I, there, the show was already running to in season three. It's running into this issue of the same stories repeating and they're trying to make it part of like a cyclical comment on life and generations and passing trauma and blah, 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 blah. And I don't care. <laughs> like we, you know, because no one seems to be learning the lessons of the previous, like especially the, all the different relationship dramas that we've experienced in the first two seasons. It makes me not care about the no the latest versions, of, the latest iterations of it. So when we have the Charles and Camilla stuff, because anybody anybody watching this knows what's happening with that and knows where it's going to go, and and. Having the episode where it's all about, it's all about the uh, Uncle Dicky, and Charles is so enamored of Uncle Dicky. He's like, he was a fucking Nazi. He was a fucking Nazi piece of shit. Who they're very lucky abdicated the throne. There was nothing good about him. He wasn't just like just chased after and like thrown out because uh, he he had the wrong girlfriend. No, <laughs> the wrong wife. And I think the show knows that, and I think it's. I think Charles, his interpretation of it at this age is very appropriate for him, for that character. But I just have no patience for it as I'm watching. And I, if I'm having the conversation of the show does remember everything that we experienced with this in season two, right? I think it does. Then why are they making me watch this in season three? And I think it's some of the frustrations that come with adapting to at least some extent, real life situations. 
where um, you can't have somebody pull Charles aside and be like, well, actually, blah, 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 blah. First of all, because we did that in season two already with Elizabeth. And second of all, because we don't, like, we have, I'm guessing that these are actual letters that have been published or something that they're basing this relationship on. Um, I mean, maybe they aren't. But just because it maybe it's not based on true. Maybe that's not true. So it's just, it's just really frustrating to, to, to see some of these threads come back over and over again. And I'm excited for season four with uh, uh, Gillian Anderson playing uh, Margaret Thatcher. And I'm hoping things will kind of st- click up, you know, like step up a click um, in the new season. But yeah, it's already starting to be a bit repetitive for me. And I'm already more on board with it than you are. So I imagine for you, it was even more tiresome. Right. And uh, like, every- I want listeners to remember that I didn't watch season two. <laughs> mm. Like, I've only seen season one prior to watching this. And I, much like, like, a solid soap opera is, all right, well, everyone's the same. But everyone's the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, it's all the same, except the people are different kind of a deal. Or the people are the same and in the same situation. But it's different somehow. And that's kind of what I ran into is just like, oh, okay, well, they're grappling with the fact that they're not relevant anymore, except for the fact that they're still relevant. But they don't want to be relevant, but they want to be relevant. And this kind of things of, oh, I could have been an astronaut. I could have run, I could have been a horse manager and all this sort of stuff of like, but so I think that there's value to a degree in exploring that concept of that constancy that the Royal family represents, but also how it functions within, particularly in this particular period of major social changes. Um, and what that means and how that operates. But the show does a very bad job of really engaging that, I think, in no small part because of how, by necessity, insular they are from, insulated, I should say, they are from the rest of society. Um, And that prevents that everything that they experience, that they deal with, all comes sort of like secondhand, or you get intrusions like Camilla, uh, that kind of shake things up um, and threaten that kind of status quo, which, again, boy, boy, howdy, season five. Um, mm-hmm. Well, season four, really. Nah, late season four, beginning of season five, depending on how they sl- slice that, because they trucked through a lot of, like, territory in this season. Um, in no small part because they couldn't deal with, like, the other major social upheaval issues that Britain navigated at this point and had to kind of... Like, the fact that they deal with Wilson's, um, like, resignation almost immediately is just like, wait, what? He just got reelected? No, but he served for, like, another two to three years after this reelection. <laughs> Before stepping down because of the medical issues that weren't even, like, fully disclosed. Um, so I think that there's, like, there's stuff. Um, but it's just, the show doesn't do a good job of fully tackling those tensions, I think. Um, and it's a design flaw within the overall show itself, I think, that we just get more and more of, well, we're valuable, but are we type of thing? And it's part of the reason why, like, I actually do like a lot of the Charles stuff in no small part, because I think that um, that actor does a really good job of capturing a lot of Charles's physicality. Mm-hmm. Um, since Charles is like someone who I'm familiar with like physicality personality i don't know the man but 
the physicality of Charles, he does a really good job of like embodying. And Charles has always seemed, and the show I think does a really good job of this, very not interested in being in this position ever. Like even even before Diana, but especially after, there's just been, well, I can use this to do other things. And I think that that comes through, especially with a lot of the stuff that Charles has done since. Um, even down to, I'm almost positive that he basically abdicated his role in the um, succession line so that if once Elizabeth dies, that I think that... Goes to William, um, I think. It goes it goes directly to William, I think, instead, skipping over him, because that would just be one too many coronations, because Charles is literally the longest-serving heir apparent in British history, mm-hmm. because Elizabeth refuses to die. Um, so, but Cheerful I think thoughts that, here on the Tullivers. Right, but I mean, she's just, like, she... He, he, he's just been waiting forever, but also he's just never wanted this. It's been really apparent. Um, so, and I think that the show does a really good job of making that clear, but it also just relies way too heavily on foreshadowing with, oh yeah, Diana. Like we all know she's waiting in the wings. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think that's the frustration is the sense of history that can't fully come in because of how insulated they are, but their personal histories that we're all vaguely intimate with through tabloids. And I appreciate the solid introduction of tabloid culture that comes here um, through Margaret and um, Roddy, um, I think is good. Um, But it's just, we're rapidly approaching that point in which they're catching up to what I know. And I'm, more interested and less interested at the same time. But I'm also here for... I don't know how much I am here for uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher. That fucks because it's Gillian Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So, anyway, I'm going to stop talking because I'm starting to ramble. Okay. Well, I want to know what you thought about Princess Margaret because I think she gets all... Basically because she has more stuff to do. Uh, mm-hmm. She It's a higher profile part of the season, I would say. Um so, so what did you think of Helena Bonham Carter's performance and the, that casting and, and the, how the season uses her? Um, I think the casting is generally fine. Um, weirdly, it, she, I think that the degree to which, like, we needed to play up the fact that Margaret feels increasingly isolated and is, like, steadily, like, um, whatchamacallit, um, having a fall, um, is really, is important to that character and that energy in particular because it does not feel like as con- con- uh, continuous with um, Vanessa Kirby's performance. Um, but this is also a Margaret that's aged a lot more and has experienced a lot more. Um, but I do think that there's good energy when the show allows Margaret to have that energy. But that overwhelming amount of sadness that comes through in the finale, um, I just needed like more time for that to happen. And that build. Um, so that was a little frustrating for me. But generally, I liked it. Um, but I also got tripped up by the fact that her other big spotlight episode where she's going on her tour of the Americas has Clancy Brown as Lyndon Yeah, Lyndon what is Johnson. that? And I, I don't know what motivated that decision. I also don't know what motivates their decision to... All right, listeners, if you don't know, Johnson was a... Inc- incredibly vulgar human being just really vulgar and like all the urinal stuff is accurate he would do this routinely to people but that's the extent of what they're willing to do in this is like johnson swerved like a sailor 
all the time. And he doesn't swear in this barely any at all. Um, and it's just like, mm. so the urinal was fine, but him just swearing was just off limits. But I am glad that Brown really didn't attempt to do that text, that deep Texas accent, because I don't think he can do that. <laughs> um, so no, that tripped me up, but yeah, it was, it was fine. Um, generally I thought Carter was fine. How did you feel about it? As someone who's actually like watched the show in its entirety at this point. Uh, I enjoy her quite a bit. Um, I would have, there's so much singing. I would have liked it to be better singing, but I have a feeling that's a, uh, character choice more yeah. than anything else, which is disappointing. That's just, just that part of it. Come on. Come on. <laughs> um, the, yeah, I really enjoy all of the main cast in this. And like even Ben Daniels, I've enjoyed on um, lots of different TV shows over the years. So it's just fun to watch him play such a skis ball. Um, after like all those years on Lorna or UK, but, um, I I kept enjoying performances more than the whole. Yeah. And and to like it I, this is not a show that I this is not a season I should say that I would have been like breathlessly anticipating the next episode if I hadn't had to like power through them to get to get them ready you know ready in time watched in time so we could talk about it on the podcast this week. So so it was like I was more appreciating the elements that like the construction and the shots and the costuming and the set design and the, you know, the, the performances and like the individual pieces and not so much the whole. And for me, season, I like season two quite a bit than season one. And I'm hoping that I'll have a similar reaction to season four versus season three. Um, but, but we'll see. I do also really, like you were saying, I, I did really appreciate the actor who's playing Charles, his performance and some of the like princess Anne and some of the others in oh, the younger generation. Gosh. Anne is just a revelation. I want that woman to get so much work because mm-hmm. um, she's basically just done like a couple episodes or an episode of Call the Midwife. And then she was in that um, Les Mis uh, miniseries that ran uh, this year. And that's it. Um, and the things that this woman can do with disdain um, is just really, really good. Anne is also just a generally really fascinating uh, royal figure as well. Um, so I'm curious to see what they do with her going forward. Um, but that performance is just real good. Her whole, that whole sit down with, we need you to remain calm and proper and reasonable. Yeah. And just, was that reasonable enough for you? And just like, oh, this is the only Royal that matters on this show is Anne. All of you can just go fall into a lake. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, do you have any final thoughts on the season? Any other performances or moments you'd like to mention? Uh, and are you going to watch season four? Um, nothing. I, do, I, I did really appreciate them giving a spotlight to the whales stuff. Um, because that's that's an under-discussed, under-represented, at least within American media type of thing of whales and the tensions they're in. Um, we're more familiar with, like, Ireland. Um, but we're not familiar with Wales. And I think that that was a really good episode, at least from an American perspective of grappling with that. The degree of accuracy of it, I don't know. And I, I'm not speaking to that. I just appreciated that it was there. Um, and it also provided a good showcase for that actor, who, again, is just wonderfully awkward. Um, so that 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 is kind of how I feel about that. That was the only thing, other thing I wanted to mention. Um, but... I am probably going to watch season four because I really want to see Anderson playing Thatcher, but I'm also very curious about how they depict Thatcher 
um, and how that gets incorporated into this show. Um, because I feel like you can't depict Thatcher um, without really needing to really address some of the larger political issues that Britain was going through under Thatcher's um, under Thatcher's uh, premiership. Um, so I'm really curious to see how they have to deviate from that, um, or if they just go, all right, well, what's our one big crisis episode that we can do, whether it's Fog or the really horrifying Coal episode, which is also really, really good, I think. It's probably yeah. the season's best episode um, for a multitude of reasons, but I think it's easily, like, the best encapsulation of what this season is trying to do and that episode does it the best but i don't think that they can necessarily do that with thatcher um they can't just do an episode of something along those lines with thatcher but i'm also just i want to see those sit downs between coleman and anderson and i'm that's probably going to be enough to draw me in is like those 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 little meetings mm-hmm. because oh they're going to be real good they're going to they're be, good. be real good yeah. um so what about you um i obviously would follow your recommendation of if you don't like the crown you're not going to like this season <laughs> if you do like the crown you'll probably like parts of this season but if if you've still been on the fence about the show, don't watch it. But what else stood out to you, or would you recommend folks uh, seek this one out? Yeah, I mean, if you like The Crown, you'll like this season. You know, yeah. like I, it feels pretty straightforward, but I th- think that's true. And if you're on the fence, check it out, see what you think. You know, I, I think there's at this point of the show, it's gotten enough acclaim, it's gotten enough attention and critical coverage over the years that I feel like people know what they're getting. It's a known entity. Yes. So it was a known entity from like season one, I feel like. But. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, despite an entire cast changeover, it yeah. feels very much in the same vein and they've maintained the tone and everything. So, you know, and maybe that's even a bit of an issue. Maybe there should be more of a shift in that as the series continues yeah. but it does feel like it's very in keeping with the time the title like the crown right it's yeah the crown doesn't the, change even when maybe yes. they should so yeah yeah you know what should change though what the title car opening opening sequence is just the worst it's just the worst and they didn't have a skip intro button at least on my netflix oh no they had one and i kept pressing it <laughs> Oh, maybe it's because I was watching on my on my phone for part of it. Maybe it, it would have been on the the desktop, but or or the uh, TV. But yeah. Anyways, listeners, listen to what you thought of the Crown season three, and if you're excited for season four. Um, but until then, a few show notes. You can find the post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can find us in Apple Podcasts with an M4A chaptered feed and MP3 unchaptered feed. And we're also over in Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. And then, of course, we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thanks so much for a good week, Kate. Thanks, Noel. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.